everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. I'm Tony Randazzo. I am going to lead us in a talk that wraps up where we've been, where Chris has been taking us for the last few weeks. It's always good to have an action request. And what we've been learning for this last week is how important it is for us to remember that you, people, are the church. It's not this structure. It's not this institution. It's not the religion, right? You are what we're referred to as the church. And it wasn't until much later in history that people started to distort that. And before you know it, a church became a building, a destination, as opposed to in a movement, right? And Pastor Chris talked to us about how love is our brand. You know, in this modern day, we all uh, know about marketing, right? And things are branded. People get branded. Messages get branded. But if, if we as Christians want to be seen as something that is attractive, something that people actually want to follow, we have to think of ourselves as being branded in love. Because the contemporary church has done a terrible job. The contemporary church, he's either gone to one extreme or another. One extreme where they've become deeply judgmental, harsh, angry, separate from society. Or to the other extreme, so adopting of the ways of society, so accepting of even the most perverse things, that it's indistinguishable from society. You can't have these extremes, right? Together, you have harmony in Christ, and that is where we remember the two most important rules, right? Love God, love your fellow man. Love God and love your fellow man. The other point that Pastor Chris was trying to um, really impart to us is that, you know, we need to be a caring and a loving and a gracious and a forgiving community. Um, and, and that is difficult, is it not? Because our congregation is made up of people of, of different colors, uh, different ethnicities, different uh, political traditions, Right? And, and today, it's almost as though you can't differ with one another without something becoming violent and angry and divisive. Right? It's gotten to the point where if you send your kid to MSU, you know, and, and someone wanted you to send them to U of M, you know, there's all this tension. And I don't even want to talk about Ohio State. Okay? <laughs> Um, we, we're so polarized. And I think part of the problem is, is that no one has ever broken down what this all means to be a follower of Christ. Okay, so what I want to do today is different. I want to talk about a concept that I'll bet you most of you have never heard before. It's called followership. Followership. And, and here's the problem. The problem is, is that Everyone wants to be the boss. Everybody wants to be the boss. Have you noticed that? 
I, I, I've worked for the same employer for 28 years. I finally made it to the highest level that I can within my career field. It took me a very long time, a lot of sacrifice. We have younger people coming in who want to be vice president in a couple of years. And they're disappointed. They'll jump. Like, I didn't get promoted. It's been three years. You know, we all want to be the boss. And, and there's a great saying by Erasmus. There's a great saying. And that is that in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. You know, I mean, it's all about wanting to cast your vision, but what if, what if what we really need to do is to follow? I mean, it, here's the problem, okay? Here's the problem. Western culture, Western culture celebrates leaders, Americans, right? Rugged individuals. We don't want our kids to grow up to be followers. We want our kids to be leaders, right? This concept is, no, unless you're leading, you're inferior, right? No, unless you're the one making all the decisions, you know, you're subservient. You're somehow lesser, right? And, and that is such a destructive thought process. And, and I'll tell you why. It's because we devote so much energy of training people to be leaders, but we devote almost no energy at all to training how to be a good citizen, how to be a good follower. And you know, you can be one and the other. Did you know that? That you know you often begin as a follower and if you have the gifts, if you have the gifts, you can rise to be a leader. But a lot of people demand and churches are often filled with people who want the control. They want power. They want to be the leader. They want to boss be the boss of all of you, right? And, and the problem with that is that that's not biblical. That's not biblical. Jesus served. He was the most awesome leader ever. I mean, I, I've studied leadership extensively. I've had the blessing both in the military of going through the NCO Academy and learning to be a leader and in the corporate world having been invested a lot uh, in, in how to be a leader. And you know what I've concluded? I'd be a terrible leader. I, I, people have come to me many times, the companies come to me many times and said, you should be a manager. And I said, oh, no, absolutely do not do that. I am horrified at the thought of having to manage someone like myself. You know, I mean, no, you've got to know what sort of gifts you have. Right? You have to know it. But the problem is we don't focus on leadership. We, I'm, I'm sorry, we don't focus on followership. We focus on leadership. Honest example. So I get out of the NCO Academy. I, I'm going into the squadron headquarters, and our commanding officer is there with our leading senior NCO. Senior NCO means he's like a, a senior master sergeant. Okay? And they make the mistake of asking my opinion on something. You know, and I tell them. And of course, I made a complete fool of myself because it was completely not politically correct. It was blunt. It, it, was, it was based on some things I had heard and was concerned about, but it was not at all constructive. There was nothing good about what I said. Nothing. 
the senior NCO's face just turned white. You know, and, and afterwards, he put his arm around me not too gently. <laughs> he took me into the hallway and gave me the what for. And he said, Randazzo, you're not a good follower. And I thought, yeah, that's about right. He said, no, you don't get it. You don't understand the principle of followership. Your job is not to set strategy. It's to execute tactics. You're an NCO. Your job is not to talk about the big broad things. Your, your job is to make it happen, to execute the orders of the commander. And I was embarrassed because I was a fool. I acted like a fool. And I blew an opportunity to gain some influence because I spoke like a young man who had just gotten some authority, full of crazy ideas about being a leader. That's not what they needed. What they really needed was a devoted follower who would help them execute what they were trying to do. And there was nothing wrong with what they were asking us to do. It was sound. It just, I hadn't thought of it. And therefore, it wasn't as good of an idea as I had. Right? And that's bad following. Right? Are you with me? So, in the church, we have these same weaknesses, right? We have these same weaknesses. Now, in case you think I'm making all of this up, right? I'm going to actually show you what Webster's definition is of following, right? It's the capacity or willingness to follow a leader. Capacity. Okay, that means you have enough wisdom and intelligence to know how to actually follow. Meaning, someone casts vision... And then you put hands and feet to that, right? And willingness. Your ego isn't so great. You're not so full of yourself that you can't make the effort to execute what a good leader has asked you to do, right? You're going to put yourself secondary. Like you might have a few improvements to the idea. No. There are times where you have to execute something as you were told. Because lives could be at stake. Money could be at stake. Health could be at stake. We don't have the big picture. Are you with me? And it's like this with our Heavenly Father. I mean, he's looking down and he sees everything, people. And at times he asks us to do things and we don't get it. We don't understand it because we don't see everything. Okay, but that doesn't mean we don't execute off of what he says. It doesn't mean that we don't go out and do, that we follow. I'm not saying that we have to be a bunch of, you know, brain-numbed cultists, okay? We're going to get more into this. We're going to get into the psychology of this too. What I'm saying is, is that we don't teach this stuff to young people. And many of us have grown up without the benefit of it. And only like 1% of us serve in the military or our police or first responders where you typically learn a lot of these life lessons, right? Very few of us are ever exposed to an environment where you have to execute, you have to follow because lives depend on it and souls depend on what we do. It's no less important in the church. So I want to take us to Scripture to Matthew 4.19. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. Okay, some translations may say fishers of men. 
From the very beginning, we understand that Jesus was gathering followers, okay? And what did they do? In Luke 5.11, and when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. And so they executed off of what he asked, right? And what did it mean to follow? It meant to put things at risk. It meant to put their reputations at risk because to be a Christian was not a popular thing. Jesus' teachings were controversial. In their case, it meant to put their professions at risk. Right? They were fishermen. They had jobs. They were giving that up on the belief that there was something greater. Right? They put their lives at risk. This is a violent age. They followed. In Philippians 2.14, uh, we, we see vision being cast here by Paul in the city of Philippi. And it's really interesting because it tells us a lot about what it was like to be a first century Christian. And just to remind everyone, when, when Paul is speaking, he is writing as a man in a particular age, at a particular time, during a background of oppressive regimes, upheavals, revolutions. And he's speaking to a specific people. Okay, these are real people that he was speaking to. Now read between the lines as I read what he said. Do all things without complaining or arguments. What was going on? There was complaining and arguing in the church at Philippi. Oh my, how is that possible? They were perfect. No, they were like us. Churches with complaining and Troublemaking people, it happens, right? So, this is why you shouldn't complain. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of, wait for it, a crooked and perverse generation. What? How is that possible? I thought we were the only crooked and perverse people. Nope, they were pretty crooked and perverse in the first century. In fact, they were a lot worse than we were. They actually paid money to watch people murder each other. Now in MMA, we just got watched them beat each other senseless. But in their day, people actually died in the ring for entertainment. <laughs> Why? Why should you do this? Well, among whom you appear as the children of God above reproach in the midst of that crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as what? Lights in the world. Meaning, you're the role models. Your brand is supposed to be love, right? Your brand is supposed to be something different about Christianity. What is it? Well, it's not perverse. It's not dishonest. It's loving which is a contrast to the world. Sound familiar? Does that sound familiar, people? Holding firmly the word of life so that one day of Christ I can take pride because I did not run in vain nor labor in vain. Paul is saying, as I poured myself out to you guys, you know, I helped set up your church 
I left you behind with the understanding that you guys were going to prosper, and now I'm hearing that you're complaining, causing problems, now that you're behaving in ways which aren't really showing the Christian faith in the light that it should be. Friends, does that sound like challenges that we have today? It was just the same as it was. Things technologically have advanced. Morality hasn't. It hasn't. We're still challenged. And then we can look at Mark. And we can talk about divisiveness and how it blunts the impact of the church. In Mark 9, 40 through 42, for the one who is not against us is for us. Okay, hard stop. Our enemy is not the Methodist church across the street. Our enemy is not the Catholic church, kitty corner. Okay. Why? We're on the same team. have certain different styles, right? Different traditions. And we can help each other. You know how Verb Church and we are helping each other? You know, we, we help each other. We refresh each other at times, support each other. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name, meaning you're Christians as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. So there's a lot of different players out there trying to advance the cause of Christ. We're not in competition with them, right? But here's the warning. Now, for those people who are gonna cause division and cause problems and make wars over simple doctrinal issues and whatnot, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it is better for him if a heavy millstone is hung around his neck and he is thrown into the sea. And that actually was happening during this time. The reason why that analogy was put in about the millstone is that some early Christians were caught by the Jewish authorities and they had a big grinding stone attached by rope around their neck and they were thrown into the sea to drown. So the people reading this understood what that reference meant. In other words, it's bad. <laughs> okay. Causing fellow Christians to lose faith because of stupid arguments, because of mean-spiritedness, because of moral failures, that's going to weigh heavily at judgment. There's a consequence for that, for individuals, for leaders who behave in such a way that actually causes the faith to suffer of people. You know, it's not just about the concept of being a follower. There are people who take it to another step of resistance. They're so indignant that someone else has authority that they find it necessary to be divisive. They undermine, they gossip. They organize campaigns. I've been in a number of churches. I've told you before, I'm a spiritual mutt. Started off as a Catholic became a charismatic Catholic, right? Attended uh, Assemblies of God Church for a while. Then I went Lutheran. was actually made a lay minister, then non-denominational. And during that time of those years, from 19 to today, I have seen church divisions over the color of a hymnal. 
I saw a division because there was a red hymnal that was written in the 1800s, and they went to a brown hymnal written in the 1980s, and people thought it was heretical. I was at a church where they got rid of the organ and put a piano, and they said that was ungodly because Christian music is always played on piano. I mean, clearly, I'm sure St. Paul played the piano uh, for his congregants, right? And churches split. I've seen churches split because individuals wanted a private school to be run, but the church couldn't afford it, so they had to close down their private school, and the people voted the pastor out because the pastor prioritized ministry and missions over the convenience of, of, a, of a school. Friends, the consequence of bad followership is not just the lack of energy and resources. There are times where people reach a point where they're divisive, right? And that's not good. That's not good at all. So in 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 through 13, um, Paul has a word for the people of Thessaloniki. And he says, therefore, meaning going forward, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are also doing. But we ask you, brothers and sisters, to recognize those who diligently labor among you, who are in leadership over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you regard them in very highly in love because of their work. And he finishes with this very powerfully, live in peace with one another. So we have been in multiple areas of scripture, multiple churches. Remember, every one of these letters is to a distinct church in a different part of the world. All of them are having problems with division, right? And some people aren't honoring the people who have dedicated their lives and put everything on the line relationally, safety, occupationally, to serve Christ and to preach the gospel and, and to serve in, in the churches which were homes, right? Just homes. And people weren't respecting them. They weren't being good followers. So, let me bring this to something that all of us who watched the Ohio State U of M game can understand, okay? There's a word picture for our challenge. So the word picture is the quarterback. Quarterback. So imagine a quarterback, right, who has no center. No center. What would happen? Anyone, shout it out. No center. How do you get the ball? Right, and, and usually the center's a pretty large fella. <laughs> right? You, you lose the middle of the line, right? Now the quarterback's got to figure out how to get the ball. He's supposedly, he's the leader on the field. But if you think about it, while we all know the names of quarterbacks, how many of us know the names of the centers? <laughs> Not many. Yeah, unless you're into fantasy football, right? Um, and so we need to think more in terms of the whole field. You know, we're all on that playing field together as Christians. You know, the quarterback may be the guy who is visible, may receive a lot of attention, but man, you need that center. You need that right side, that left side. You need that whole team working together, right? And they all have to follow in harmony. And we saw a good game uh, the other day, didn't we? Um, we saw how a good leader executes 
and how those that are following that leader connect and take forward, right? You don't make progress as a good leader uh, unless you have good people around you. In fact, there's a statistic that's really interesting, and that is that 80% of all of the profitability of a given organization, 80% of all of the productivity also, is tied to the ones who follow. So leaders, you better be investing in the people that you're leading. Leaders, you better treat them well. Leaders, you need to make sure that everyone understands their value and how their role contributes because 80% of your success will come from those individuals. It's not gonna come from you obsessing about things with spreadsheets and numbers and whatnot. That's important. But it, it happens on the field by the people who are supporting you. And it's true in the church. Things that get done here, you would not believe how much volunteers do in this church by comparison of other churches. We're very, very active. Can I hit you with some psychology? Is that okay? I know we're in church and we're supposed to be suspicious of things like that, right? But I am going to go through a principle of a, a pretty famous psychiatrist who came up with followership styles. And Dr. Kelly came up with this concept that there's this picture, right? And in the Northeast Quadrant, think of this box. The Northeast Quadrant is the effective person. The Northwest Quadrant is the alienated follower, okay? The bottom is a passive follower, and the other bottom is a conformist. And in the middle is a survivor, okay? And I'm gonna walk you through a little bit about these different types of people because as followers, it's kind of important for us to understand how this fits in with personalities and whatnot because in the church, this is typically what we're gonna also see. So in the middle, we have that pragmatist, and they're a little bit of all of this, but I'm gonna start with the alienated follower. These are the qualities, according to Dr. Kelly. They're angry. They're angry. They're distrustful. They're suspicious of change. They have historical grievances. They're unengaged, unmotivated. They're mutinous and rebellious. And they're either passive or openly aggressive. Ouch. Now, fortunately, we don't have those kind of people, or at least they don't last. But there are people in every organization and every church who are just so ticked off, so mad, that they make life difficult for the leaders of that church, right? They make life difficult for the congregation. The second kind, and again, these are archetypes. Is, is, the, is the passive follower, passive follower. This is gonna, you're gonna identify with this, right? You're gonna know what I'm talking about. They're compliant, but they're not critical thinkers. They often lack confidence or awareness of the mission. They're anxious about change. Red hymnal, brown hymnal, concerning, right? Change in time of the service, ooh. They lack initiative or ambition. They're all about mediocrity, and they will do the minimum every time to get it done. And they will follow leaders 
until a request or a requirement made of them is just too high, right? Passive followers are very common in the workplace, but they're also very common in church. Many times in the church, these are people who aren't committed to Christ. Um, they got a foot in the door. And, and by the way, if you're one of those people, we love you. Uh, we love you. Uh, we want this to be a place where you can discover the Christian faith. But understand, you're not really following. You're being passive. Okay, you're not engaged. Yeah, you're going to do the bare minimum, and you think you've done us a favor by showing up on Sunday. <laughs> um, then there's a very different group called the conformist. Dr. Kelly talks about conformists being pleasers. They're overly trusting. They're quick to embrace change. Brown hymnal, awesome. On it. 11 o'clock service, terrific. They suppress dissent. Like if anyone says anything, well, damn, gosh, I don't know if that's right. Oh, no. Pastor said it. You know, um, we all have to follow, right? They, they don't like any dissension. Everyone has to be aligned in a little circle of love, right? They're highly engaged. Man, you don't have a problem getting these people to volunteer for stuff, right? And they're very task-focused. They're personally loyal to the leader more than the mission. Let me say that again. They're more loyal to the leader than they are to the mission. Very dangerous, especially if you get a bad leader. And they're willing to turn a blind eye to leaders' failures. These are people who love so much that even when someone is destructively wrong, they will tend to continue to follow. You see, where it started off kind of cool and then didn't end so well. Now let's talk about an effective follower, according to Kelly. An effective follower is one who is highly engaged and accountable. Meaning they say they're going to do something, and if you check, they actually did it. They're aware of the goal. So they're missional in nature. They know, for instance, in our church, that our goal is to love God and love people. They know that we're really heavy into outreach. They embrace change if the mission requires it. This is the kind of folks who are in their 80s. And they've had church a certain way their whole life, and then all of a sudden the church changes directions, and they don't leave. They may not like it. That electric guitar may grate on them a little bit, that modern music, but they stay. Why? Because they're all in. They love God more than they love culture, right? They're critical thinkers, meaning they're not robots, cultists, right? They use their mind. They hear what pastor says. They check it in scripture. Okay, it aligns with God's word. I'll do it. They're just not going to take his word, right? They're not passive. They're competent. These are people who are heavily involved. I mean, they, I would guess probably the majority uh, of you who would think of these types of individuals are people who are out serving visibly, openly in the church, right? They're, they're your deacons. They're your... Your, your people who work sound, they're your youth pastors, they're your music ministers, and they're loyal to values, not people. 
okay? They would not be afraid to say, stop. That's wrong, pastor. I love you, but no, that's not correct. These are people who love God more than a leader, right? And they're constructive. So if something goes poorly, they don't organize a rebellion. They privately meet and say, hey, how can we do this better? How can we organize ourselves and get this done in a way that works better? I don't have a slide for this, but the people in the middle are the ones that trouble me the most. They're the pragmatic people. They kind of got a foot in everywhere. They float in and out of different quadrants, right? At times they're excited, but then later on they lose their enthusiasm. At times they're really engaged, but they're not sure they wanna take the risk of investing too much because what if they get their feelings hurt? Or what if it's all a scam, right? And so they're in, kind of in the middle and they float back and forth. And, and really that is the group I'm speaking to today. Um, we love everyone. Even when people are unlovable, we still love you because Jesus did. And there's gonna be a time where you're gonna feel challenged. And maybe today is one of those times. You're gonna, you're gonna feel a little pressure and it's okay. Because if we love you, we can't allow you to continue to be passive. If we love you, we can't have you just be neutral, pragmatist, not advancing in your walk with God, not using the gifts that God gave you. We can't tolerate that. Because we think missionally, big picture, right? We know what our mission is. We know that we're surrounded by people who are lost. And without Christ, they'll be lost for eternity. And it's not okay for us to be passive. And it's not okay for you to be passive. It isn't. And we wanna push people out of that comfort zone where they're being pragmatic, and just saying, well, you know, I'll give a little bit. You know, I'll help out on this holiday because it's fun. But I'm not gonna step out, I'm not gonna take a risk, I'm not gonna join a group, I'm not gonna put myself out there. I'm telling you, take the risk. I'm telling you, we need you to step up. I'm telling you, we need to give give more. Doesn't mean money, although we could use it. Time, time, serving, mentoring, your own time, investing in yourself. So the right questions to ask as a church, you know, maybe you're all around the spectrum of all these different areas. Maybe you floated in from one area to another of followership. The right questions to ask are, what is my church's core beliefs and mission, and do I agree? If I were to just do a poll, no judgment, how many of you know the mission of our church? Would you say? Okay. Quite a few. So, online, if you want to text in your answers too, um, the mission of our church is to love God and love people. It's pretty simple. Okay? We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Word of God is divinely inspired. We believe that Jesus died for our sins, 
and that only through him can we be saved. Those are our core beliefs. We also agree that there are many disagreeable or debatable things that we don't focus on because they cause division. But upon the things that I mentioned, we stand. That brings meaning. The next question is, when should I be critical of something I observe? This speaks to accountability. If you see something that troubles you, if you're in a small group and you see a behavior that troubles you, um, there are two ways to handle it. If it's a minor thing, then you might want to take that person aside and just ask them to help you understand. Help me understand why you said that or why you did that. If it's a pretty significant thing, it's something you would want to come to the church, and maybe a group of us will sit down with that individual, right? Because it's appropriate for us to hold each other accountable. And if one of us is blowing up our marriage because we're behaving in a way that's destructive, if one of us has some addiction or problem, if one of us is engaging in behavior which is destructive, you need to step up, do something. We're all accountable to one another. And there's a way to do that appropriately and lovingly. So how should I express criticism? What's the process? Well, it's kind of similar. So as a follower, uh, if I have a criticism, don't do what I did as a young sergeant and just blurt out whatever comes to your mind without any context. First of all, try to understand the situation better. Did I misunderstand what was just said? Did I catch someone on a bad day and maybe they misspoke or were there circumstances? So before you go on the defensive or criticize, seek to understand, right? Seek to understand. And then, as Covey says, then be understood, right? Then speak. And, and it's okay to have character and, and, and have other people have character, make sure that people are acting in a way that's appropriate. But just do it in the spirit uh, that Christ models for us. And what is my role and responsibilities as a follower? Well, that, that falls to purpose. Well, you know, each and every one of you have been given a gift by the Holy Spirit. You know that, right? I mean, once you accept Christ, you are supernaturally infilled with the Spirit of God. And you're going to begin to discover that you have insights and gifts, or maybe God has blessed you with things like wealth or influence that you leverage for the kingdom. So your responsibility is to use the stuff that God gives you, to use the abilities that God gives you, the opportunities that God gives you to advance the mission, which is for everyone to hear the gospel and become followers of Christ. That's our goal. It's pretty straightforward. And then lastly, you know, where can I get additional training to be a better follower. Now, I would love if you had this question. Very few people will. Um, it's sad because like me, you're experienced with mostly being trained to be a leader, not a follower. But today begins the process of us beginning to invest more in this concept of being a follower of Christ, right? Today begins the process of us saying we all need to be humble. We need to be humble. We can't all be the chiefs. 
We need to follow. Summarize. Followers aren't weak. They're very strong. Do you imagine how strong you need to be to trust someone else who casts vision? Do you know how strong you have to be if you're in the military and you know that your life is on the line and then an officer says, we need you to do this dangerous thing and you have to do it for the mission. Right? What's the same for the kingdom? There are times we're going to ask you to do things that will make you uncomfortable. I'm pretty sure we're not going to put your lives at risk. Pretty sure. But we may ask you to do something that's uncomfortable. Leaders might come to you and say, I really need you to step up. I need you to take on this leadership role to, to lead this group. Or I need you to reach out to this individual. Or I, I need you to help us out a little bit further because I know you're gifted in this area or you have great connections in that area. The kingdom needs you. We need you to say yes. Uh, not everyone can lead. Not everyone has the gift of leadership. Not everyone has the heart to be a pastor. Man, we can all follow. Can if you're humble. If you're humble. If you love God. If you love God more than you love your own ego. If you love God more than you love your free time. Right? You can follow. You can live a life of meaning and purpose. The question is, are you ready? Man, are you ready? Isn't it worth it? Do something noble. Do something good. Take the next step in your growth as a human being, as a Christian. I hope it is. I'm going to close this in prayer. Father God, thank you. Again, we pray for those in the congregation who are struggling with illness. We pray for all those watching online and here today. God, help us, help us to catch a fire in our hearts and a desire to follow you, to serve use the gifts that you've given us for your kingdom's sake God and for the edification of the church pray this in Jesus name Amen thank you for being here